Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Today we continue with a powerful story told by Jesus. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And at its core, it's a story about lost people being found. You know, the word prodigal is an interesting one. It's not one we commonly use in our everyday language. The word prodigal uh, quite literally means reckless. It means uh, extravagantly wasteful. And the prodigal in Jesus' story was a young man who blew through his inheritance and it left him in a place where he was desperately lost. But despite how far he wandered, he was able to make a comeback. You know, several weeks before we ever began this message series, I was reading through the prayer requests that were submitted uh, by people who attend here at Sunrise. And my heart broke as I listened to person after person make these agonizing requests for people in their life who, who are lost. And I wanted to read a few of them to you, keeping their names out, of course, to protect people's privacy. But listen to these words of people who could be sitting right next to you as we speak. Listen to these requests. Please pray for my nephew. He may be homeless. Pray that my son reaches out to me. It's been over three years since I heard from him or seen him. Pray for my sister's fight with drugs and alcohol. Please pray for my sons that God would open their eyes, ears, hearts, and minds to Jesus. Pray for salvation for my family. Please pray for my son. He's addicted to drugs. Pray for restoration of two relatives who walked away from the Lord. Pray for strength. My husband is not being faithful, and I do not want to continue with my marriage. Pray for my son in prison. Pray that I'm able to hear from him. Pray for my friend whose life is in tatters. I want her to understand that God loves her even when she feels unlovable. Pray she will turn away from the life she's living and experience true joy from Jesus. And here's one more. Lord, I come to you as a mom. I pray for my child to remember the God of her childhood. These requests came in one week. This wasn't a compilation. That was one week submitted by fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, teenagers and, and senior adults. And see, for many of us, prodigals aren't some character in a story. It's the people in our lives, people we know, people we love. And, and in addition to all this, I'm willing to guess that there's more than a few of you. But a prodigal isn't someone you know. It's someone you are. Maybe you've been the one Who's, who's been reckless and wasteful. Maybe you've been the one who's wandered away. Here's the great news of the Bible. No one has gone too far that they cannot be reached by the outstretched arm of God. And maybe for somebody today, your comeback will begin. And so let's dive into Jesus' story. It can be found in the New Testament Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, find your way over to the Gospel of Luke. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we'll display the verses up on the screen. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Jesus jumps right out of the gates by introducing us to three characters, a father, a younger son, and an older son. And this younger son essentially goes up to his dad and says, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now, but since you're still alive, why don't you just go ahead and give me now what is due to me after you kick the bucket? Seems like a charming young man, doesn't it? Amazingly, the father gives him his cut of the pie. And what does he do? He instantly heads out and he blows it all away on, on wild living. And this kid was living under an illusion, an illusion that the party life is what's going to fill the emptiness in our souls. And while he's drinking champagne and going to nightclubs and picking up the tab, reality was about to come crashing hard on him. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. The party eventually ends. And this young man now found himself in uncharted territory. He had nowhere to live, nothing to eat, and no one to take care of him. He went from making it rain to begging on the streets. You know, and he, he experienced a, a hard, cold reality of life. People love you when you got money. But when the cash disappears, so do many of the so-called friends. And now he was alone, verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This was particularly debasing because Jews believed that pigs were unclean. It just shows just how desperately low this young man had to stoop. Verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. you got to be in some kind of desperation to be fantasizing about eating pig slop. Kind of reminds me of those old cartoons. Remember where, like, they're stranded on an island, and one cartoon is so, so hungry, he starts hallucinating. He sees the other guy like a roasted turkey on a plate, you know, starts licking his lips. <laughs> That's what's happening with this young man. He starts seeing this bucket of pig slop and starts thinking, oh, that looks like Thanksgiving dinner. But said so no one gave him anything. You see, here's another hard lesson in life. There's no handouts. And in times of famine, they weren't even giving out free pig slop. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? This was the moment the younger son discovered that he was actually lost. Scripture says he came to himself. That's an interesting phrase. It usually means someone who's deranged, who, who, who suddenly wakes up. Deranged means you're unable to think or act in a logical way. That's what happens when you allow sin to go unchecked in your life. You know, when this son blasted out the door, it was like he was a different person. He was brazen and selfish and, and driven by lust. That's what happens with sin when you allow it to go unchecked. Jesus' own brother James had these words to say about the matter. In James chapter 1, verse 14, he said these words. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, all of us have within us 
uh, evil desires. And those desires are luring us into its bed. And when we give in, when we take the bait, when we spend the night, an unintentional pregnancy occurs. This sin is born. And when it's not confronted, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger until it eventually kills us. And that's what happened with this young man. The weight of sin crushed down on him. It didn't kill him literally, it, it killed him figuratively. And he, and he had to ar arrive at this moment where he, he said, uh, what am I doing here? I, I left my father's house, a place of protection, a place of provision, a place of privilege. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So this young man, he starts thinking, I, I gotta make a plan here. He starts to grow legs. I, I'm gonna go back home. And he realizes that going home probably isn't a good option because when he went out the door, he burned the bridge behind him. But maybe he could just beg. Maybe he could just show up on the porch, get on his knees, and say, Dad, will you take me back? Even if it was a 1% chance his dad would say yes, it was better than what he had now. At least he'd have a roof over his head and bread for his belly. Verse 20, so he arose and came to his father. The comeback began. You know, one of my favorite authors is someone named Henri Nouwen. He's a Dutch man who, who possesses a, a rich and very deep faith. And when you read his writings, it's a, it's a beautiful and painful expression of somebody who's, who's trying to integrate faith with everyday life. And he tells the story in a book that he wrote. That back in the early 80s, he was completely empty and burned out with the life that he was living. And one day, he walked by a co-worker's door, and he saw a poster on the back of the door. It was a picture of Rembrandt's famous painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it so moved him because he was feeling so empty, he longed to feel that embrace. So he tells the story that he actually boarded a plane and flew to Russia to go see the Rembrandt painting live, and it was at a museum called the Hermitage, and he, and he told the story about pulling up a stool and sitting down and just studying this painting for four hours, trying to soak in all of the nuances and Rembrandt's artistic storytelling of this parable of the prodigal son. You know, my wife and I, we, we traveled to Russia many years ago, and I had read this book, and we were in St. Petersburg, and that's where the Hermitage Art Museum is. And I'm like, we, we got to go. Let, let's go find this painting. And so we go into the, to the museum. We're walking all over the place. Can't find it anywhere. Finally, we get to where the Rembrandt paintings are exhibited. It's nowhere to be found. I'm thinking, did the guy, did the guy lie? Is it, is it no longer here? And so we left the exhibit, and then I turned around and went, oh, there it is. Uh, I took a picture of it right here. Uh, it's rather large. Uh, turns out that I came in through the back end of the exhibit. This is the front end. And as you can see, just the scale of this work of art uh, compared to my wife standing right next to it, it's massive. And so here's some of the things that, that, that now spotted when he looked at this painting. So when you take a look at it, first you see there's two men who are wearing red. That's the father and the older son. That signifies that they're in the same family. Now, the young man on his knees, that's the younger son. Notice he's not in red. That's because he forsook his sonship. He, he, he said he was no longer going to be a part of the family, and he left. Well, let's take a closer look at some of these aspects. Let's start with his head. You see, he doesn't have hair. 
maybe that's due to the harsh sun that, that he experienced out in the, in the far country. Or maybe it's, it's due to the stress and anxiety induced by his own foolish choices. When you look at his waist, attached to his hip is a dagger, perhaps needed to fend off the dangerous people in between the far country and the father's house. You look down at his feet, his shoes are torn. In those days, somebody who wore shoes, that was a sign of money. Those shoes were likely new and shiny when he left the house, but now they're tattered and torn due to the long journey back, a metaphor of this young man's life. And of course, we can't miss the posture that this young man is in. He's kneeling before the father, begging for mercy. And his father embraces him. And in Jesus' story, this is what the father said when the son returned home. Luke 15, 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is what everybody who, who has a family member who's wandered away lost, these are the kinds of things that we fantasize about, that someday they'll come back. You know, sometimes the lostness can feel so deep, it doesn't even feel like change is possible. But, but I have to imagine there's many of you who, as you ache for someone who has wandered away, you, you're, you're just hoping someday that my son will experience a turnaround. Someday my daughter will change. Someday my husband will soften. Someday. But how? You know, one thing I know is this. You and I can't make anyone do anything. We can't make a person come back. We can't change anybody's heart. But you know what we can do? We can pray our socks off. We can ask God to intervene. And today, I want to give you three prayers that you could pray for somebody in your life who is lost. Or maybe you're the person who's lost. In this case, these three prayers are for you. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the first prayer. God, please help them move from hardened to humbled. You see, when our hearts get hard, nobody can tell you anything. And so we need God to break up that hard soil because that's when Jesus can take root. That's when true healing can begin. Let's go back to the moment in this story when this happened for the young man. This is Luke 15, 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He came to himself, and this is so critical for us to understand, that every single person who's lost has to realize on their own that they're lost. They have to get to this moment of realizing, what have I done? And this young man, it finally clicked. He finally came to himself. He finally realized a change has got to occur. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is exactly what the young man needed. He needed to be in the mud, hungry, and fantasizing about eating what the pigs eat to finally realize, God, I need some help. You know, about 20 years ago or so, there was a, a new term that was introduced to the world through academic journals in the education world. And that term was helicopter parents. 
A helicopter parent, as described, was, is somebody who hovers over their, parent, over their kids at all times to make sure that they're safe. You know, this is the mom chasing her kid through the playground with a bottle of hand sanitizer. You know, hey, hey, don't touch that. Stay away from him. If you're going to go down the slide, put on your helmet. You know, this, this is the dad who, who runs onto the soccer field, stops play because his kid has a cramp. You know, Does anybody have a wheelchair? Please, you know, wheeling the kid off the field as he's giving everybody a thumbs up, you know. But, but you know, this, this is the thing. Nobody's talking about helicopter parents anymore. There's a new term that's been introduced to the parenting lexicon. That term is bulldozer parent. And what educators are, are, are trying to warn us all about are our bulldozer parents are the ones who they swoop in and they bulldoze all of the challenges their kids may have to face out of the way so that their kids can have an easy life. And there's all kinds of stories about bulldozer parents. You know, for example, uh, maybe your little kid's friend isn't nice to them at school, and so the parent goes and confronts the parent of that kid out in the playground. Hey, FYI, your child doesn't do a good job sharing, so is there anything we could work out to prevent this from happening in the future? What is going on right now? You know, there's stories of people who have petitioned school boards to get coaches removed because their kid didn't make the team. I mean, there's a story of parents who were texting their teenagers' friends, asking them why their kid didn't get invited to the party. And I know some of us are like, oh, that's me. I'm a, I'm a bulldozer parent. Listen, it comes from a good place. It comes from love. And, you know, there's times where you have to advocate for your child, but there's also times where that can be unhealthy. And what educators and academics are warning about bulldozer parents is that they're seeing kids in schools who, who don't have any problem-solving abilities or any resilience, or any adaptability, and they're pleading, please stop doing this. You know, one of the most confounding aspects of the parable of the prodigal son to me is that the father willingly handed the inheritance over to this younger son. Why would he do that? Here's why I believe he did it. Because he knew his son was already hardened. See, this is what's so important. This younger son lived in the house of the father, but he did not know the heart of the father. And so the father took a big risk. He's going to give him exactly what he wants in the hopes that he'll get to the end of it and get humbled and turn back to the father. And friends, God does the same thing with you and I. Very often he says, okay, is this really what you want? This is really what we want? Okay, here you go. And it's a risk. And I, I think for, for many of us, this is, especially if you're a parent, that, that's agonizing. Because look, you don't want to see your kids suffer. You know, you want to get those challenges out of the way. But the reality for so many uh, of those who are lost is they have to face their own consequences. Very often, God needs to do something extreme to break open that hardened heart. And if, get, if they would get humbled and turn their life over to him, that is what the risk is all about. Now, David said some interesting words in Psalm 28.1. He said, For to you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. 
God is described as somebody we can call upon in our times of need. He's described as a rock. And if you're someone who has a loved one who is lost, maybe your prayers ought to shift away from God changing their... Don't, don't, don't pray that God would change their circumstance. Pray that God would help them feel the consequence. Maybe we ought to pray, God, help them to hit rock bottom so they'll find that Jesus is the rock at the bottom. And friends, I know this is hard, but if their hearts would get humbled, if it takes them getting a, a broken bone or a broken heart or prison time or sitting in a pigsty, if they humble their heart before the Lord, it's worth it. First prayer is, God, please move them from hardened to humbled. Here's the second prayer. God, please move them from something to someone. What do I mean by that? Let's go back to the parable. Luke 15, verse 17. Jesus allows us in, in, to hear the inner monologue of this young man as he starts planning his change. Verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. See, something is what drove him to the far country. Someone is what brought him back. And it's interesting to note what he did not say. He did not say, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to go ask my boss for a raise, something. He did not say, I'm, I'm going to call on a favor from a friend, something. He didn't even say, I'm going to go back to my father's house, something. No, he said, I'm going to go back to my father, someone. Something is what gets us in trouble. Someone is the solution. And I just want to say a quick word to, to all the moms watching in the room and watching online. You know, there's, there's a lot of interesting parenting principles that come from this parable, and I'm reminded of one of them, that what your kids are ultimately looking for is not more stuff. They want you. But with that said, the parable of the prodigal son is not about parenting. It's about lost people being found. It's about sinners repenting and turning to God. And I think it's so critical for us to remind ourselves of that because we have to be careful that we don't try to assume the role of Savior in someone's life. There's only one person who gets to bear that title, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now listen, at best, at best, you and I can provide temporary relief. At best, you and I can provide temporary distraction or temporary solution. We can't change anybody's hearts. We can never be the someone that lost people need. But we can point them to the someone who could change their life. And when they have a genuine encounter with God, that's when true change happens. And you start to see it in the behavior. Look at all of the behavior that changed with the prodigal son. We, we see it in his speech. It says, verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He didn't blame anybody for his actions. He didn't try to justify them or clarify them. He took ownership. I sinned against you. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't go up to his dad and say, come on, turn the page. We're family. 
No, he understood that he traded in his sonship. Continues in verse 19. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You know, the younger son made two requests to his father. Give me and treat me. He said, give me my inheritance. That's, that's something that reflects a spirit of entitlement and arrogance. But treat me like a servant. That reflects humility. Understanding that he might not have access to the father he once had, but maybe you can just make me the lowest guy on the totem pole. And I'll, I'll just work for you. That represents true change, true repentance. Friends, something is what got him into the mess. Someone is what will get him out. Let's make sure that we point lost people towards the only one who could actually help them. That's the second prayer. First prayer is, God, please move them from hardened to humbled. Second prayer, please move them from something to someone. Here's the third. God, please move them from setback to comeback. Now listen, none of us are going to make mistake, live mistake-free lives, okay? None of us are going to get it right 100% of the time. I don't say that to minimize sin. I'm just talking about the reality of who we are. We are going to mess up. And when you and I mess up, we typically feel pretty guilty. And those of you who have gotten into patterns of messing up with the same thing, you feel that guilt. And so we say things to God like, I'm never going to do this ever again. But then a funny thing occurs. The guilt wears off. And then we find ourselves right back into the same old mess. Is that what happened with the prodigal son? Let's look at his life again. This is Luke 15, 17. And listen to the, to the, the inner dialogue that's, that's occurring in his life. He said, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In other words, he's sitting there in the mud amongst the pigs, and he starts telling himself all the stuff he's going to do. I'm going to go running back to my dad. I'm going to get down on my knees, and I'm going to say, Sorry, it's all on me. Will you hire me back? I promise I'm a changed man. And you probably have the same inner dialogue at some point in your life, right? You've probably said the same things to God. Uh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run home. I'm going to take all of the bottles of liquor, and I'm going to dump them straight down the drain. I'm going to call up my boyfriend. I'm going to tell him we need to stop doing what we're doing, or I'm going to break up with you. I'm going to start getting up early. I'm going to get back to church. I'm going to serve at church. I'm even going to give money to the church. Friends, listen, when we feel guilty, we make all kinds of promises. How many of us actually carry them out? See, feeling guilty, that's just a setback. Actually doing something about it, that's a comeback. And that's exactly what happened with the prodigal son. Verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. He didn't just talk about it, he actually did it. And remember, he ran off to the far country which means it was the same amount of distance to come all the way back to the Father, which meant he had to look down that hard road and stay committed. And for people who are lost, you've maybe been in this spot before, you start looking at the long road ahead and thinking, oh, look at all the stuff I'm going to have to do. 
I'm going to have to make some changes. That might mean breaking off a relationship or getting a new job or changing my living situation or spending my money differently or having long and difficult conversations to heal broken relationships. I don't know if I could walk down that road. And so we compromise and we say things like, I've already wandered this far. I might as well see it through. I got myself into this mess. I'm going to get myself out of it. It's just a setback. How long can the famine really last? And the scary thing is that many of us think we hit rock bottom, but we don't realize we can go much further down. And I think if you're praying for somebody who's lost, the prayer ought to be, God, help them to have the strength to walk that long road back, not just to feel bad and to, and to show up for a little bit, but to see true change. You know, uh, I've, I've heard of some, some, some stories of even families in this church, you know, they've got children addicted to drugs, and they've actually allowed their kids to, to use drugs in their homes. And the rationale is, well, I'd rather have them here with me where they're safe than somewhere out there that's unsafe. And the reality is, for, for many of us, we're praying for, for people who are lost, and, and what we're really praying is what's best for us and not, not what's best for them. A lot of times we just say, I, I just want them home. But that might not be what's best for them. What we got to pray is that they themselves would, would have the strength to do the hard work to get over the bad feelings, to get over the guilt, and actually get on the road to recovery. That's what true repentance looks like. And that's what this young man did. Verse 20 continues, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Turns out that the mercy of his father was far greater than he could have ever imagined. This too was captured in Rembrandt's painting. I'll take a look at it again. You know, one of the things that Rembrandt does is he uses light to emphasize the most important, important points. And the, the thing that has the most light in this photo is the father's hands. And if you look, both hands are different. The hand on the left is softer and lighter. The hand on the right is stronger and darker. That's on purpose. See, the hand on the left is feminine. The hand on the right is masculine. And what Rembrandt was trying to do is picture a God who can hold both the role of a father and a mother. The rugged strength and reliability of a father and the comfort and compassion of a mother. This is the kind of God we have. This is the kind of God who welcomes sinners back. This is the kind of God who makes it possible to have a comeback. Can you imagine the father seeing his son limping back home rags, poor, totally broken. That's exactly how God wants us to come to him. It's only when we understand our impoverished state before him that we could ex experience true forgiveness. It's only when we realize, I'm broken. I've got nothing I could bring to the table, God. I'm getting on my knees before you. I need your help. That's when God takes us back. Remember, the son showed up hoping to work for the father. But the father embraced him, not because of his son's merits, but because of the father's love. 
And I wonder if any of you have ever intentionally done that with God. The Father in this story is a representation of the Heavenly Father, God Himself. And I wonder how many of us have ever just come to Him totally broken and just fell on our knees. So many of us think we've got to get our lives cleaned up before we return back to God. What He's wanting is just someone who's totally in need, who falls down on their knees and says, I, I, I need you, God. Will you save me? I can't save myself. And if you've never deliberately invited God into your life by, by admitting your, your sin, admitting your need, believing in faith that God saves you through, through faith in his son Jesus who died in our place, and then leaving that old life in the far country behind and falling at his knees and saying, I want to live for you. If you've never intentionally done that, I want to help you do that this morning. In a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer a prayer of inviting Christ into your life. Maybe you've prayed this prayer somewhere in your past, but you've wandered so far off the road, and today you want to rededicate. Or maybe you've just sort of believed in a higher power or universe or the man upstairs, but you've never actually prayed to ask God to change your life. And so if you've never done that, let's do that right now. In fact, I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes online. Same thing for you. And if you've never invited Christ into your life, then I want to invite you in the silence of your heart to repeat these words after me. Father, today I run to you. You lift those words straight up to heaven. Father, today I run to you. I can't save myself. I've sinned against you. And I'm asking you to save me. I believe you sent Jesus to die for me. And today I put my faith in him. I ask that you change my heart so I could leave the far country and live for you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed this prayer for the first time, I want to say congratulations. Here's what we'd love for you to do. We'd love for you to tell someone. One simple way to do this is on the program that you received when you came in. There's a little perforated card. You could just tear that off. And at the bottom of it is a little box that says, I said yes. I, I prayed to receive Christ. You could just fill that out. And when our ushers come through to take today's offering, just drop that right there in the bag. And we'll follow up with you and help you understand what it means to start this new journey with Jesus. Maybe you've prayed that prayer, but you're just not growing. You're stuck. You're in a bad spot. And you, you're, like, you're saying, I got to take another step. I can't stay at this spot. Here's how to do that. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people is ready to receive that text message, and they'll exchange a few with you to help you get going. Maybe that's joining a small group or getting involved at church, or maybe you need somebody to talk to about your questions. You need some assistance of some kind. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797, where we also have a next step table here in our lobby where you could have a face-to-face -face conversation with someone. This son realized that he had to return to the father. And when he came to him, what he found was a father who surprised him with his love and mercy. That's where we're gonna pick things up next week. Do you know somebody who needs to be reminded that God loves them so much that he's willing to take them back? You ought to invite them to come with you to church next week. Until then, let's pray these powerful prayers. Let's ask God to move in the hearts of lost people, to move them from hardened to humbled, 
to do what it takes to break up that hard soil so Jesus can take root. Let's pray that God would move them from something to someone. You and I can never be the Savior, but we can point them to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's pray that God would move them from setback to comeback, not just feeling bad, but actually carrying it out. And on this Mother's Day, may we never forget that the God of the Bible has the strength of a father and the embrace of a mother. This is the kind of God who welcomes back anyone who admits that they're lost. No more talk. Let's come on home. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for being a God who welcomes back sinners. If not, we'd all be in trouble. So God, I want to pray for anyone in here who has never fallen at your feet on their knees and and begged for your help. I pray that today would be the day they'd bring their brokenness to you and that you would find them. Lord, I pray for those who have wandered off the path, who are rededicating their lives to you today. God, I pray that today would mark a true change, a true encounter with you, and that they would start to see it in their behavior. Lord, may we continue to worship you now with our offering. May these generous gifts be used by you to impact lives. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us so much that you lifted us up out of the pit. And so we call on your name, our rock and our redeemer. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe in your heart, then somebody say, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.